Hear the word of God from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And now hear the words of Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Good morning, Waypoint. Some of you may know that Mary, my wife, and I were high school sweethearts. But what you may not know is that our history goes back a little further than that. I'd love to take you back in time to 30 years ago. It was 1993. A couple of kids in a church Christmas performance that just happened to stand next to each other. And in true 90s fashion, be sure to notice my turtleneck and bowl cut. That's just a quick plug for our Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock service. <laughs> now, joy, that is what we are talking about this morning. Joy, joy, joy. Thank you. Um, just as we've walked through the service already, I feel like, Abby, as you shared, um, wherever you are, um, thinking about joy this morning, this pink candle stands out among the others. Um, there's something provocative about the candle of joy. We turn our eyes as a church to the joy of Christ's coming on, in the midst of the longest, darkest nights of the year. This week, the sun rises later and sets sooner than any other week of the year. Yet it's this week that we light the candle of joy each year. In a world full of darkness and gloom, joy stands almost peculiar. And the candles of Advent remind us of the words of Isaiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. John, the gospel writer, picks up on this theme when he says, The true light that gives light to everyone 
was coming into the world. And Luke tells us that on the night that Jesus was born, the angels appeared to the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem. And the angel of the Lord said, we just read these words, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And so on this third Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of joy defiantly. The color pink seems out of place. The timing seems ironic. In the gloom of long winter nights, we cling to the message of the angels. This is good news of great joy for all people. Christ has come. But the question I have for us this morning is in a world that is still full of sorrow and sighing, of darkness and depression, of grief and gloom, how do we experience the joy that Jesus came to bring? I imagine that Jesus knew that his disciples, his followers, would be asking that question. In fact, in his farewell discourse, as scholars call it, John chapter 14 through 17, Jesus addresses this question. In fact, he starts that section in John chapter 14, verse 1, by saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus knows that in a world still marked by the brokenness of sin, we're going to need to hear those words. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And I think that Jesus knows that there are plenty of things in this weary world that will trouble our hearts. So how we experience joy in a weary world becomes part of what Jesus addresses in his final discourse with his disciples before he leaves the before he heads to the cross and knows that his time on earth is coming to a close. Three times in these chapters, John 14 through 17, we see Jesus point us to joy as one of the purposes of his coming. John 15, 11, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In chapter 16, he says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. He's talking about his resurrection. He, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And then a couple verses later, he uses that same phrase we saw in John 15. And your joy will be complete. In John 13, verse John 17, verse 13, he says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am in the world. And he's praying to the Father so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I wish we could walk through each of these passages, but for the sake of time, I want us to look at the first of these passages in John chapter 15. If you have a Bible, or we'll put it on the screen, uh, John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I think what Jesus wants us to realize about joy is that God invites us to participate in joy rather than produce it. God invites us to participate in joy rather than produce it. And I say that because often in this world that is marked by the brokenness of sin, by sorrow and sighing, when we don't feel joy, and yet we know that we should have joy, we have this innate sense that we need to produce joy. And so we try to order our life in such a way that we produce joy within ourselves. And the Christmas season is a great example of how our culture tries to do this. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We hide the darkness of the season behind lights and smiles and carols of joy, when often the joy that we sing is not what we feel and we're trying to produce something that is not within us. And the message of Jesus here in John 15, I think is really important when he says, so that, we're going to, we're going to jump, we're going to talk about what, what comes before that so that, but his purpose is so that my joy, Jesus's joy, would be in us. This Advent season, we as a church are looking at these themes of Advent, of love, hope, joy, and peace through the lens of the Trinity. And so Lawrence walked us through the Father's love. And then last week we looked at the hope that the Holy Spirit brings in our lives. And next week, which is Christmas Eve, we're going to look at Jesus the Son. And this week is kind of a unique one in which I want us to look at joy through the lens of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Spirit. Because the repeated message throughout the scriptures is that innate in God's character is that he is a God of joy. And the Trinity is an essential piece of that for us to understand God's joy. Because before you and I existed, before God created the world, there was joy. God the Father delighting in the Son through the Spirit. And this triune God experiencing the fellowship of joy. And when Jesus says in John 15, so that my joy may be in you, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to taste and see what I experience in my very nature of being God. That there is joy this deep contentment and satisfaction that all of the pleasures of the world cannot satisfy. 
And Jesus says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And so the message here in John 15, and I want to argue that is kind of the message of the whole New Testament in the arc of Scripture, is that God, joy is not something that we are called to produce, but it's something that God invites us to participate in. One of the key moments that we see the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, is at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. We can put that on the screen. It says, um, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And here in this moment of Jesus' baptism, as he comes out of the water, we see the, the Father, the Spirit descending, and Jesus the Son, and we hear the pleasure of the Father in his Son. This is the joy of the Trinity that God invites us into. And so back to John chapter 15, verse 9, when Jesus, when Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The pleasure, the words of Jesus, of the Father to Jesus at his baptism, This is my beloved Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus is saying that is true of you in the gospel. And we are invited to participate in the love and delight of the Father for us. And so the implications of this for us, as we've already started to reflect on during the service, is that if that is true, if our joy is rooted in the very nature of God, rather than something I produce or procure, then I can have joy regardless of my circumstances. My finances can come and go. My relationships may come closer or go farther. I can have health. I can have sickness. But there is something that is given to me in the Godhead that I am invited to participate in where Jesus says, I want my joy to be in you. And like it said in John chapter 16, no one can take away that joy. And so I, I want to uh, kind of let our minds dig into this idea that joy is something that we participate in, that God invites us to participate in, uh, ra rather than something that we produce. And, and I think a good illustration of this might be... Um, how many of you have ever been water skiing? Okay, a few of you. All right. So you didn't know you were coming to church to get a water skiing lesson, but here we go. Um, my, my dad was a uh, exhibition water skier. Like he would uh, do pyramids and things. And so one of his joys as a father was to teach me how to water ski. And so he took me out on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland where I grew up, and he had me jump in the water, and 
he had me put on the skis. And um, the key to water skiing is that you sit in the water with your skis, and the key is to get in the right position. How many of you can walk on water? Anybody? Okay. So here's the thing about water skiing is that of my own power, I have no ability to stand on water. But the key to water skiing is that the boat has the power to pull me up on the water. And so the, the common mistake that almost everyone makes when they're learning to water ski is you get your, this is harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> you, I'll do one leg. You get your legs into kind of this position. And uh, you hold your arms at kind of a 90 degree angle and you have the tips of your skis out of the water. Driver of the boat says, you ready? You say you're ready. You hold on to the rope and you wait. The boat starts to go. It takes it a little time to get up on plane and you start getting dragged through the water. The common mistake that almost everybody does is they try to pull themselves up. They are holding the rope and they go like this. You know what happens when you do that? You fall completely backwards. And so the key to water skiing is really just staying in this position. You don't move, you don't stand up, you just hold on. When Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, and I remain in you, what he is telling us is he wants us to believe that we do not have the power to produce joy in ourselves. We don't have the power to stand on water. We don't have the power to produce what only belongs to God. This pleasure, this joy, this delight. And so what he is really inviting us to do is to get into position where we believe that we don't have the power to do this. And so when it comes to joy, we are invited to participate in the joy of the Father, Son, and Spirit, where we hear the words, this is my beloved Son in whom I love with him, I am well pleased. And so the power of joy is found in positioning yourself to receive it rather than empowering yourself to produce it. And this is important because our culture around us tells us that to find joy, you look within yourself. But Jesus tells us to find joy, you look to the beauty of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit where joy existed before time, before the world began. And the Father who set his love on the Son through the Spirit gives joy. And the joy of Jesus is not superficial, it's supernatural. And the joy of Jesus is not mechanical. Sometimes we feel like if, if we're following Jesus, if we're doing the right things, if I'm doing my quiet time, if I'm going to church, if I'm giving generously, then maybe then I'll feel joy. But joy is not mechanical. And that's what is so beautiful about John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says this is an organic, relational thing. 
You have to be connected to the source of your life in order to be, experience joy. And that does not mean that you will have a smile, but it does mean that you will have a satisfaction that though I am heartbroken, I will not be broken. Though I'm walking through the thick of this broken world, I believe that one day sorrow and sighing will be no more. In fact, that is a phrase that comes repeated in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter 35 and then again in chapter 15, uh, chapter 51 says this, Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. In those passages, Isaiah is proclaiming a word to the people of Israel in captivity and looking forward to their return to Jerusalem. But history tells us that their return to Jerusalem didn't cause sorrow and sighing to flee away. And so those words in Isaiah point us to something still yet future. That there will be a day when everlasting joy will crown our heads. When sorrow and sighing will flee away. And in the season of Advent, we do believe that joy came. But we also believe that joy is coming. And by the Spirit of God, we are given a hope that one day Jesus will return, that he will make all things new, and sorrow and sighing will flee away, and everlasting joy will crown our heads. But until that day, our hope tethers us to joy. And Jesus says, abide in me. Remain in me. And I in you. Hear the words of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. George um, Mueller was an incredible person in history who started orphanages all throughout the UK. But he has this quote where he said, I will not start my day until I find my heart happy in God. I often struggled with that quote because there are many days where I struggle to find my heart happy. But if you look at George Mueller's life, he had plenty of things that make it clear that he wasn't talking about putting a smile on before he started his day. What I think he was getting at was before he starts his day, he wants to start by getting in the position of believing that he does not have the power to be joyful. That he does not have the power to produce joy in him and of himself. But that he wants to position himself in the place where God can produce that in him. And he wants to find his heart 
happy, satisfied, delighting in God. And I want to suggest that all the, the momentary joys that we experience in this world, the joy of a sunset, the joy of relationships, the joy that, that, that maybe you'll experience on Christmas morning as a family, these joys are meant to point us to something greater, of a greater, deeper, everlasting joy that nothing in this world can produce and nothing in this world can take away. So this Advent, as we light this candle of joy, we do it defiantly. Saying that the joy of Jesus is different. And he wants that joy to be in you. So my encouragement to you is find disciplines and ways in your regular rhythms of life to get in position. And don't try to pull yourself up. Don't try to have a superficial joy. Don't try to walk in here on Sunday mornings and pretend that everything in life is good. But get in regular rhythms where you can posture yourself where you remind yourself, before I am anything today, I am a child of God. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the joy that you give us in the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to be a people not of super, superficial joy, but people of supernatural joy. And so, Father, would you help us, even as we sing together, as we come to your table together, to truly believe that you are the source of our life, you are the source of our hope, you are the source of our joy, and we celebrate that this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Peter, for sharing. Um, whew, we can have joy. I like your water skiing analogy. I, I was one of those guys who wanted to be cool at 15, and all my other friends could water ski, and I couldn't. So I definitely let the boat pull me up the first time because they told me that 100 times. Um, as we continue in our worship service, we're going to continue to think about this theme of joy and, and how the Spirit and the Son and the, and the Father come together and we get to partake in that. And one of the ways we get to experience that is by taking the Lord's Supper. Here at Waypoint, we do this twice a month. The first Sunday of the month, we normally practice confession. And that's a moment where you can exhale the junk and breathe in the hope and the joy and the love and the mercy and the grace that we get in Christ and that's literally in us as temples by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. On the third Sunday of the month, we like to reflect on some other elements of communion. And one of those is the new covenant we have in Christ. But for this morning, we're going to do something a little different as we reflect and think about the Trinity. We're going to recite the Nicene Creed together as a church. 
This is a historic document. This is a summary of our faith. And uh, if we could put it up on the screen, some of you may have never recited this out loud in a church service before, and that's okay. You can just follow along with me. But as we're reciting this, I want you to read it, but I also want you to reflect on the words that we are proclaiming. These are the truths of who we are, but more they're the truth of who God is, Father, Son, Spirit. And we get to join into all these, every line in this, every statement of this is true. And this is our reality now, and this is God in the past, God now, and God in the future, allowing his people to partake in his joy. So let's uh, recite it together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us men and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. As we come to this table, we remember the new covenant that we have in Jesus and all the promises of that creed are true. We are forgiven people. We are born again. We are new creations. People with a hope, people that can have joy now, but know that our joy will ultimately be made complete when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. We're people of the kingdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. I'm going to ask the servers to come forward. And then uh, the choir, the band, which is very large today, so this is going to take a little longer than normal. I'm so grateful for the Christmas choir.
Here at Waypoint Church, um, we practice communion by using a method called intinction. And you'll come forward and you will be handed a cracker and we'll say a liturgy over this cracker and you'll dip it in the juice. Um, you can take it immediately or you can bring it back to your seat and take time to reflect. If you need to, there are some stations in the back with the little individ individual packets. They're in the back corners there. And this is a meal for all followers of Jesus who have put their faith in him as Lord and Savior to come and partake in. So at this time, I wanna invite all of you to come forward. Father, we thank you that you entered into Mary's womb. And you sent your son, who at his baptism is filled with the spirit like a dove, 
and you are pleased. We thank you that despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion against you, that you loved us and you saved us and you made a way through the cross, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, through the pouring out of the Spirit. We thank you that right now you're seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning over this world, even in all its brokenness. And we thank you that you're coming back to make all things right and new. We thank you for your table. I pray for each person here, God, as they go through the Christmas season and this Advent, as we're trying to celebrate it as, as a church. As we said in our prayer night we had last Monday, for some people, this is a hard season. Just a lot of things, a lot of brokenness, a lot of family dynamics that are, are hard, a lot of memories. But it's also a joyous season because you allow us, you say, come together as people and, and have festivals and have joy. So I pray as each person in here goes out this week, these next two, few weeks of, of holidays and, and celebrations in our, in our culture and in, in their families, that you'd be with them, you'd go before them, and that all of us could just rest in the joy and the hope and the love and the peace that we have in you. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.